Hi, this is Anita Switlow. I am on beautiful Salt Spring Island on a Friday evening. We just had an RV reunion and I'm sitting with Tim Collins who served in one of my favorite places or I imagine it to be one of my favorite places in Vanuatu. What years were you there? I went to Vanuatu in 2005 of say May and came back about the same time of year in 2007. So about two years. Now, were you, were, did we recruit you from Salt Spring Island? Were you a resident here? I have lived on Salt Spring for 30 years, but at, wow. but at the time I was recruited, I was actually living up in Courtney. I had moved up there because my son had demanded a little bit more from life than what was on Salt Spring for a kid that age. and I, uh -huh. So I uh, sort of underwrote that by moving with him up there. But then he moved away from home, of course, as young people will. Yes. And at, then I reminded myself of uh, something that had been in the works 20 years before. I had, uh, when I was a child, I saw National Geographic magazine in black and white back then uh, with an article about Melanesians. It, which included the New Hebrides, which is now Vanuatu, and Papua New Guinea. And even back then had a photo of the uh, land diving, which is the precursor, of course, to bungee jumping. Oh, this was done from a bamboo land tower. Land diving, with, you just said. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So that's done from a bamboo tower with vines attached to their feet and they just they would dive off of that. I saw this picture and these pictures of Melanesians when I was a child. So 20 years um, before I was recruited, I had actually applied to CUSO and had been accepted to go to Papua New Guinea to run a sawmill or to help manage a sawmill and, and teach business practices. Um, at that time, I found out that uh, my son was on his way and so I canceled and stayed home and I was a single parent for the 20 years until my son moved away. I reconsidered CUSO, went online and saw a posting for Vanuatu. <laughs> so talk about synchronicity, it was just great. Yeah. Uh, I applied knowing, I, somehow I knew that I would be accepted and I'd be going. It was just too much of a coincidence for that to be there at that time for me. It described me as well. It, they didn't want somebody necessarily with professional credentials in one area. They needed somebody adaptable. They needed somebody with uh, various skills because it was a remote setting, very remote, um, uh, an island 125 miles from the capital town of Vanuatu and in circumstances of no electricity and no running water. Uh, Essentially, I sat on a stone and cooked on a fire for two years, very much like camping. So that suited me as well. I, that's fine. I, uh, so I accepted the posting when they offered it to me, and off I went. You know what's so weird? I think I know the couple that went in your place to P&G. They were from Powell River. Oh, yes. They, right. did, they actually taught portable... Sawmill. The portable sawmill, that's yeah. not right. And the well, gentleman just passed away this year, and the lady's still alive. She's no, amazing. I'd be interested in meeting her. Perhaps you can let me know. I will, I will. Touch. She's a fabulous woman. Mm -hmm. So, 
you go there, you're living in a remote con community. And by the way, folks, if you were lucky enough to be me, sitting here looking at these <laughs> photographs. Okay, so there's a phot photograph. And there's these guys. They have kind of regular kind of surfer pants on, no top. But they have these pointy things going to the sky. What's going on there? This is a custom dance, and the, what you're seeing are headdresses, which are made out of local materials, coconut and uh, different ver uh, parts of the coconut tree, uh, chicken feathers, and carvings and paint. Uh, uh, most of those pigments are made from uh, plants of some kind out of the bush. And, and is there a special occasion going on? The dances are, uh, it's hard to describe in our terms, but it's, uh, they're a celebration sometimes of a grade taking of a chief, for instance, who might oh. be uh, going to another uh, higher rank of status as a chief. Uh, it may be the occasion of the circumcision of some of the youngsters. It, uh, they're, they're different reasons for having these dances. That particular one was, uh, I believe, in, in memory of a chief. Okay. I mean, this is amazing, everyone. There's pictures of a wedding. There's this bride, she's in white, she's got a bouquet, husband's in this suit, they've got lays and flowers, and their faces have white powder on it. What's you'll <laughs> you'll notice also that there's no trace of a smile on either one of yeah, their faces. Yeah, how come they look so sad? Apparent, the marriage apparently it seemed it uh, was to me a very serious occasion, not the kind of occasion for joy that we would associate it. Uh -huh. It it also had a combination, of course, of you can see that it's a kind of a Christian type of. Uh, celebration, like yeah. but there are custom aspects to it too. Um, as in all culture, cultures, it's also the occasion for a big feast. The the flower is thrown on them, and just uh, the same way confetti is thrown at a wedding in our Oh, I see. Okay, it's not to keep evil spirits away. Or anything. No, it doesn't. Ha it may. Nah, I don't think so. It's just instead of confetti. So tell me, what was your assignment there? What exactly did you do? Uh, the assignment was one thing. What actually happened was another. Uh, <laughs> it was, again, adaptability, right? Yes. Uh, it was purported to be uh, a fishing project yes. because the UN had provided the local communities, three local councils, so to speak, mm -hmm. with uh, a boat each, two engines each, and a drum of fuel, uh, okay. as I said, purportedly to be a fishing project. Well, um, fishing there, to get any kind of uh, commercial quantity of fish required, first of all, a lot more equipment than that, uh, gear that they couldn't get off of the land. This is; these were all technology which is new to indigenous people in living in the jungle. And um, when I arrived, the boats were all in disrepair. None of the engines worked, 
and they weren't nobody was fishing with them they did have an idea about fishing but the the fish that the target fish are 200 300 meters down so you need very a, a wide uh, a lot of fishing line of different kinds and lures that kind of thing the biggest thing that was missing was simply organization okay when i arrived i fixed the engines and recruited a bit of help with that, hopefully to try to train them with a little bit of engine maintenance. Got the engines working and uh, uh, patched the worst of the holes in the boats and managed to raise a little bit of money out of the councils that had existed to, to at least buy some fuel to, for them to go out fishing. And some boys did go out fishing and caught some, which was very popular. But the problem was that the profits and, uh, seemed to sort of disappear, and I really wasn't aware of where it went, but although I had a good idea of it. Um, <laughs> in an indigenous society, a man takes care of his immediate family, and in our terms, we might see what will look, as, uh, look like embezzlement mm. or th even outright theft, is perfectly normal there because that's what he does. He will take care of his family. Okay. So any cash goes into a man's hand, uh, that's it. It's it's essentially gone. Yes. Um, so I've got to, I should keep this story short. Um, over the period of time, it, uh, the councils were uh, taken to task by the local people uh, in that uh, I was beginning to show that the money that was being made uh, was not going back into the boats. It wasn't going to the community. It seemed to just disappear. And uh, at the risk of <laughs> my status in the community, I yes. guess, uh, I did have some arguments about uh, how much could be made because I, I showed that when I managed the boats and, and dealt with it, the finances in a Western kind of way, that there was money available to go into the community and a little bit and also to be kept for maintenance of the boats. So uh, with the support of a local man who had studied abroad and was working in development work in Australia and other places, mm. he suggested that the reins of the local councils be given over to women. And I went into those meetings with a lot of trepidation, but surprisingly enough, his status and his reputation in the communities held sway, and the community actually voted to uh, to create councils consisting of women only. Oh, great! Wonderful. And, uh, <laughs> so I ended up working with these women, teaching them first of all, uh, I guess Robert's rules of order or whatever, how yeah, to hold yeah. a meeting. Right? Uh, they have. They certainly are good at holding meetings. I really didn't have to teach them anything there, but um, what I was able to teach them was basic bookkeeping. Yes. And once they knew how to record the the money and the input and the output, and to uh, so to speak, grok the idea of keeping some for maintenance. They understood the 10% tithe for the church, yeah, yeah. so they could understand the 10% for maintenance of the boats, and and they kept very good uh, records of it. Um, the men still had a lot of issue with this, especially the ones who whose positions had been uh, 
seen to be usurped. Uh, but I finally I realized with the help of a, a very good friend there that we were dealing with things from the white man world. Yeah. And the argument, the, the whole argument had been around, this isn't custom, this isn't custom. And finally I was able to understand, I woke up in the middle of the night once and realized that I could communicate it in that if you're dealing with things from the white man's world, anything imported, you have to run the, a business. It has to follow business rules, oh, as we I know see, it. Oh, I see, I see, I see, okay, so... In the indigenous world, with food and that. things from the land, they have their economy, and it works a charm. And I can't come and tell them how to run that business, but they understand now, in that community, that they have to divide the world in two. They have their custom, indigenous ways, for their world as it existed before the white man. And it works fine. They don't need to change that. It's beautiful. And their way of managing the land as well, land ownership. If they're dealing with you know, anything imported, anything made by the outside world, money is involved, then the rules switch over to uh, quote, quote unquote white man's business. And that understanding was very, very basic and very fundamental. A light just went on in my head when you said that. Mm. When you think about different cultures, when I see these pictures of your uh, uh, that you have, and I've seen other pictures from Vanuatu before, mm -hmm. uh, you were in a very special place. It's paradise. They know it's paradise. They know it. They were they? telling me it's paradise. That's the same way the salt springers will tell you this is paradise. They this don't is, know paradise. <laughs> this is incredible. I'm looking forward to, to all of you uh, being able to see some of these magnificent photographs at our 50th anniversary. Uh, the, the, the house that you lived in, the carvings, the dance, the pig, the people in the circle, the wedding, the relaxed community. You had a very, very special and unique experience, Tim. I came back with a culture shock. I got the, the culture shock hit me when I came back, not when I went there. <laughs> that uh, I came back feeling like a very highly privileged tourist to that place. Yes. Um, a lot of uh, a, a wish to go back, certainly. Yeah. Well, we look forward to Maybe having you back. I'll come back with you to Vanuatu because this is a dream place for me. I hope you all look into, look at your maps of the world. Have a look at Vanuatu. I think um, Google up a storm and you know, there's wonderful stuff there. I was able to stand on the rim of an active volcano. Uh, I was able to snorkel in coral reef. Wow. And there is one well, other thing we suffered malaria too. <laughs> yes, that's true. There's one other thing I know this is I'll keep I will try and keep the interview short, but yes. there is something about land and land ownership that you were talking about that's really specific to Vanuatu right now. Tell me a bit about that. In the indigenous system of land management, uh, yes the land is owned land belongs to somebody, 
but it's a system in which there's no abject poverty. Right. Everyone has their own place to grow their food, to grow the materials for their home. And uh, very little money is needed when you use an indigenous economic system of barter and trade. Okay. And the, the reason Vanuatu's happiness index <laughs> is so high yes. is that they have everything they need. Um, there is a certain amount of discontent now when they see all of the things of the external world that they don't have that they think they want. But uh, I guess I spent a lot of my time uh, speaking with uh, quietly with men over Kava in the evenings, uh, trying very simply to say, be careful what you wish for. You keep telling me this is paradise, then all of these things that you want cost money, which you don't really have any of, and the outside world uh, wants you to register your land. Be careful, because chiefs in the main city in Vanuatu who have sold their land have simply left their descendants with nothing except abject poverty and servitude to tourists. Hmm. That's amazing. So now I just wanted to get the name of the place you served in. The I name of the island I yeah, lived on? Yes. I, I lived in Ambrim Island. It's spelled A-M-B-R-Y-M, usually. It's called in Vanuatu the Black Magic Island. A lot of Nivans would not go there because of superstition, partly because of the volcanoes. There are two volcanoes on the island. Okay. Um, often I was wakened at night was thinking somebody was shaking my bed. <laughs> so it, it, um, it was a remote place and, and uh, there certainly are difficulties of coming from our culture and being deprived of things like live music and uh, theater and mm. all of the, the culture that I have come from. Uh, but for a period of two years it was certainly manageable. I see a lot of live music and theater right here in these pictures. Uh, it, it's limited, I'll say that. That's <laughs> putting it kindly. How's that? <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tim, <laughs> for uh, all for serving with us, and I uh, and for sharing these incredible photographs with me. I wish you were all with me, um, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, serving with you. It was a privilege, and meeting you has been fun. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. <laughs>